Look, I don't know if you guys have heard about this article in the New York Times about honeybees vanishing. The honeybee is vital to the environment. Bees, Scotty. Bumblebee! Killer bees. Are you endowing these bees with human motives? Yeah. Bees are funny. You're not interested in what happened to the bees. Do you have any idea what those bees can do? Welcome to Killer Bees, a podcast where we profile B-movie and genre film icons. My name is Garrett Smith. And my name is Tori Potenza. We can be found everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast. That's Killer BS Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and at gmail.com. We're a part of the Movie John Podcast Network on moviejohn.com. That's the Philadelphia John, J-A-W-N. Our artwork is by Alex Schneider. Our music is by Christine Rayburn and her partner, Pat. And today we are talking about Paul Bartell. Yes, uh, which I'm very excited about because Bartell, I feel like strangely is like the most requested person we've had for the podcast. I feel like several people every time we've been like, hey, who should we add to our list? Like Bartell has like come up so often and was not really someone even though I like eventually recognized him when we started watching his movies was just like not someone I knew a ton about Mm -hmm. like before people started bringing him up Mm -hmm. so uh, I'm glad that we're doing this and we're doing him during Pride Month uh, which is also exciting because Bartels like uh, was openly gay which you know I think we've done a few like queer actors like at the time but like a lot of them have kind of like tumultuous relationships with like dealing with like their job and their sexuality so I feel like I actually listen to an, uh, an article that I am or not listen to an article that doesn't make any sense I listened to an interview that he did with Terry Gross in like 1980 okay um and he talks a little bit about it so I'm kind of excited to talk a little bit more about that as we get into our conversation um yeah I think, but, right. I think he's the first openly queer uh yes. actor that we've covered I think so yeah, yeah. Um, but first I want to introduce, uh, our guest today, uh, which I'm very excited to have, uh, our friend Gary M. Kramer with us. Hi, Gary. Hello. Um, so Gary is a Philadelphia based freelance writer and film critic. Uh, he reviews interviews, uh, his reviews and interviews appear in salon.com, uh, Philadelphia gay news, gay city news, the San Francisco Bay times, uh, Cineast, uh, movie John and other publications. Uh, he teaches short attention span cinema at the Bryn Mawr film Institute and runs cinema salon, a weekly film discussion group. And, uh, yeah, I feel like, uh, every time there's a cool movie coming out, Gary has already interviewed someone involved in the project. So, uh, I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here because I am a big fan of Paul Bartel um, and I've been watching him for years. So when you suggested him, I was like, absolutely. He's made some of my favorite movies. Oh, that's great. We're so happy to have you here, Gary. You are, you are absolutely my friend that has seen every movie first. Yes. <laughs> um, so, Gary, uh, I know like you uh, like Paul Bartel, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of your your love and relationship with B-movies. Well, I, I love a good B-movie. Um, I have written about them and interviewed people about them. Um, some of my favorites are The Boy Next Door with Jennifer Lopez and Ryan Guzman. Um, Morgana, which um, I first saw under the title Blonde Heaven. It's now also known as Young Blood, Fresh Meat. It's directed by David Dakota. And um, oh. I've recently gotten into Scott Adkins' action movies. Um, and uh, I'm right now on a binge of Jonathan Reese Myers' films. Uh, I interviewed him for Hide and Seek last year, and it was a great interview. 
Um, I had just seen Edge of the World, American Night, and Damascus cover. And um, over the weekend, I watched Good Neighbor, which is coming out June 24th. And I just saw him in Holy Lands for another article I wrote. So um, I'm sort of going through his whole over. And uh, Yakuza Princess Awake and The Survivalist are all on my list to, to see next. Oh, it's so exciting. You uh, you mentioned liking Scott Adkins action movies. I just got into Scott Adkins myself as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, boy, that guy can kick people in the face in a way that I have really never seen anywhere else. He is very entertaining to watch. Yeah, I really like him. I um I got to interview him twice, I think. Uh, okay. And I'd have to go back and look at which ones they were for. But um, one was a... Uh, you know, it took place in a bar and it was just so graphic and grueling. I loved it. I saw that um, one. I can't remember what that's yeah. called either, but yeah. it was so entertaining. Well, B-movies have generic movie titles, you know? Yes, could, they do. You know? Um, and, and, and then I saw like, the one where he did a homage to They Live, which I have to confess, and I probably shouldn't do this on a podcast, but I've never seen the original They Live. Oh. Yeah. Um, because my twins saw it and said, it was so stupid. These two guys were having a fight in the back alley and for sunglasses. And I thought, well, I don't need to see that. That, that doesn't sound appealing to you, Gary. Come on. No. But then, of course, you know, I could, you know, basically uh, rips it off or pays a homage to it. And I'm like, oh, you took that right out of They Live. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. Which actually is funny. I just saw before we started recording that today is Keith David's birthday. So oh. how appropriate to talk yes. about They Live, live uh, since we covered him uh, like last season or? Yeah, we covered season? him on yeah. um, one of our previous seasons. Mm-hmm. But um, I was, I mean, but, I was a huge John Claude Van Damme fan for years. Oh know? yes, um, and we, I used to we, go see we, all his movies in the theater, and it was just, you know. We, so we, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm a total art film snob who can like absolutely love <laughs> B movie, you know, uh, genre films. We also recently got into David Decoteau. I, I actually, yeah, how did you pronounce great. his name, Gary? Decoto. Decoto. Um, because we covered. Um, uh, why can't I think of her name now? Um. Linnea Quigley. Yeah, Linnea Quigley. And um, so we watched a bunch of his movies and like we fell in love. With, like, I think we were only going to watch one of his movies. And then we liked it so much. We watched like three movies that he yeah. made with her because oh. we just thought they were so entertaining. He's great. He And he does he does a whole bunch of series like I mm-hmm. and he also worked under the name Ellen Cabot for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So he like, I saw all those films without even knowing it was him. And then I interviewed him and I was like, oh, yeah. And I did all these other films. I'm like, so he sent me a copy of Morgana because I absolutely love it. Um, uh, we, we watched the um, the 1313 that he did yes. with her, which I know is one of his series. The, yeah, he does the, 13, like the, the Cougar he does, one. Like, Voodoo Academy. And he's got <laughs> you know, he did a whole bunch of Al- Edgar Allan Poe adaptations. Oh, for really? Television, which I got to work on all of them. Um, oh. And they're, I mean, you know, write about them. And yeah. they're, they're just fascinating. I mean, he's it, like, he just puts his own queer spin on it. And when mm-hmm. you actually asked me who I would want to talk about, I thought, well, David Dakota would be my first choice, but I thought <laughs> I could never watch as many movies as he made to prepare That's for true. it because Agreed. it's like, he only, he's only made like 170 films, I think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So only. Like, yeah, yeah. Of course. So, yeah, he directed well, three while we were 14, having. It was easy, <laughs> right? Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah, Decato directed three movies while we had that conversation. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny. Someone posted a still of like one of his films that was done in his house, and I just remember seeing that one movie. The design of his house and the decorations were so insane that just from that one still, I knew exactly whose movie <laughs> it was. I was like, I know that house. Yeah, the I... decorations make no sense. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that house is famous among his fans. Yeah. I think he shoots a lot of his movies there. 
And the, um, and the weird thing is, is that like David Dakota, I had first seen the first film of his, I think I'd seen was Leather Jacket Love Story because it played the queer film festival circuit the year it was made, which was like you okay. know, eight or whenever it was. I mean, to look it up, but I had no idea. Like, oh, this is a nice up and coming filmmaker. I'm like, no, he's made a hundred movies and you know, <laughs> they're all B movies and they're all shot in like three days, you know, <laughs> and, and they're all like, really, I mean, I'm like addicted to them. Yeah. I mean, it feels like each one is like, oh, I made this one with the leftover budget from the last one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I figure before we talk about Bartel, we can just talk a little bit about some movies we've been watching lately, Um, which I know last night Garrett and I were able to see Crimes of the Future, the new David Cronenberg movie. Still haven't Um, seen it. We won't get very specific then, Garrett. Yes. Uh, But, I mean, I have trouble being like... um, I'm very biased. Yes, I can't be objective because I love David Cronenberg so much. And it was a very emotional experience getting to see like my first like Cronenberg on the big screen as it was like released. Uh, Because when I started writing about him a few years ago, he even had said he didn't think he would direct again. So it felt like a really big deal. Um, I really loved this movie. I feel like I need to watch it like three or four more times before I can like actually write about it for my series because there's so many ideas that he latches onto that I want to like give them their due. But uh, yes, I was a huge fan of this. And it feels very like retrospective of his own career mm-hmm. and and very um, internally like interrogative in that sense. And so for your project where you're writing about each of his movies and the sort of different ways that he has addressed sex and gender throughout his career to have a movie now where he almost is like reflecting on his own career within mm-hmm. the movie is kind of interesting. I think yeah. for your project. Yeah, yeah it was very course, cool. I, and I've interviewed him only once, and it was for the weakest <gasps> film he's ever made, which was Spider. Oh, oh you know, which we, I haven't yeah, seen. Yeah, we still haven't seen Spider. It's, that's like it's, it's a good film, but it's not the Cronenberg. I mean, it's like all his yeah. films, like that's the one I got. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I wanna... love Existence, and I love, I mean, the Dead yep. Ringers, and I mean, just oh, yes. so many of his. It's like so, he's so good. I feel yes. like Gary has met every person that I want to meet in movies. <laughs> I like uh I You're a hero, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> I try. Um I want, yeah, I want to meet Cronenberg and like get to ask him my weird questions about his movies so badly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just I, and it's funny because like I, I probably just totally botched the whole interview because it was like I wasn't in the zone with his his work. It was I was yeah. focused on this one film, which is so it's almost atypical of his work. Right. Uh, mm. You know, so yep. my understanding of that. The movie outlier. Is that, right. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, my understanding of that movie is what you just said, which is like, it's not like it's a bad movie, but you wouldn't know Cronenberg directed it unless you saw his name on the title card, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, for I mean, Garrett and I have been on very different like movie watching uh, journeys lately where I feel like <laughs> Garrett has been watching a lot of like. Uh, you can say it. Like I've been Hollywood watching, action. Been watching dumb movies. Yeah, big dumb movies lately. Well, and I everything I've been watching has been like, uh, I I've been describing it as like depressing and horny, like because those <laughs> are the only ways I can like quantify what all these have in common. Um, but I watched like two movies when I was away last weekend at my dad's graduation. I watched uh, The Piano Teacher and The Night Porter. <sighs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a brutal film. Yeah, it looks like it hurt Gary to hear the name yes. of that movie. <laughs> I can only I mean, cringe when I think of that film. Uh, both of them were brutal. I what really the other liked one? both of them. Uh, the Night Porter. Oh, I love The Night Porter, but yeah, it, and and yes, I've I've interviewed Charlotte Rampling, and she is intense. Oh, <gasps> uh, I'm sure. <laughs> Actually, I feel like both of the stars of these oh, movies. Isabel Hooper, I've interviewed several times, and she's she's not as intense. 
She's oh, actually okay. very sweet in person. Oh, really? oh, that's Charlotte. I was here. like, I was like nervous to interview Charlotte, but oh, I've done. Okay. I've spoken to her once on the phone and once in person. And oh, that's both so cool. went well. Both went well, but that's but great. yeah, it was it was fraught. It was like you could just <laughs> do the wrong thing and she would cut you. You know. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> um, Gary, do you have anything you've been watching lately? Uh, me, I mean, I watched uh, I watched Demolition Man for the first time. Sandra Paul. Uh, uh, yeah, Sandra, who is, she is like, pretty. She's funny in that movie. She, her. her her whole game that she's playing is that she doesn't understand like these old colloquialisms and she keeps like missaying them throughout the movie. <laughs> she's very funny. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought Wesley Snipes was doing like he's doing like a huge villain performance and is pretty fun just in like how big he's going. Where like it's also weird because um, Stallone is like going like small in a weird way like he's not going for the big performative stuff in that movie and so like they they sort of counteract each other in interesting ways the thing about that movie was it has the dipshittiest of dipshit politics like i i had a really i had a lot of trouble like turning my brain off for that movie because it's like it's trying to imagine a world where we've like over policed people's language and we've over you know all these things that like i feel like people are stupidly worried about now uh the movie tries to go like you should be because because they're bad and I, I was just like this is dumb uh, but I, it, it was like kind of an entertaining, like nineties action blockbuster. It, it's got some stuff that's worthwhile in it. Um, but I don't know, overall, I was like, I wanted it to be better. And I liked that judge dread movie that Stallone made, which is kind of the same movie anyway, much better than this one. Okay. So, so yeah, I have, I have seen, one. um, I just saw uh, flux gourmet, which Ooh, is Peter Strickland's that? new film. He's oh. the guy who did Duke of Burgundy, which I will never forget because it wasn't, it wasn't, I, I mean, it's, the lesbian S&M Lepidopterists, you know, is fine. It's the perfume yeah. credit that he had on that film that I will never, I will never be able to erase. Who puts a perfume uh. credit on a movie? You know, <laughs> I, I, um, but he, he also made the thriller in fabric a couple of years ago about a killer dress that just don't mm. put it in the wash. And um, <laughs> he did a recent short called, that was uh, called GUO4. Uh, it's a stop motion short about two guys naked and fighting in a locker room. And, you know, God, I love that. Sounds great. Um, <laughs> So his new movie is about um, sonic catering collectives. Yes, it's a thing. Um, it's insane, just like every other Peter Strickland film is. And I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I've heard great things. And I haven't, I've seen like half of Duke of Burgundy on a date. <laughs> um, but I, I would like to, In Fabrique, I feel like sounds really interesting and sounds like very much up my alley. And then I think um, Dan Santelli saw um, Flux Gourmet and also said he really liked it. So I'm very excited for that. Yeah, it's really good. It's it, but it, it, he's very distinctive as a filmmaker. Yeah, that that makes sense. And then I've been watching, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm neck deep in Tribeca. I think I've seen nine films in the last like three days for Tribeca. Oh, wow. And then I've got you know QFlix and Frameline coming out, so I've been doing you know double duty with that stuff. So wow. yeah, I've just been on a marathon binge. Yeah. Um, did anything stick out to you that you can talk about, Gary? Like, is there a movie that you've seen recently at any of these festivals that was like, this was really good. This is worth talking about. Well, like, like at Tribeca, there are a bunch of documentaries. I saw one called Body Parts, which is by Christy uh, Guevara Flanagan. She did a short film that I showed in my Bryn Mawr class called um, What Happened to Her, which examined women nude bodies or female nude bodies in, in television films. So like, you know, when a woman's dead and true detective and she's naked, you know, mm. what is this, what does this mean? And the short is 
absolutely incredible. So I was excited to see her feature. And um, this talks about how women are treated in Hollywood, basically as an industry where, you know, they're asked to do nude or sex scenes, intimacy coordinators, um, Merkin makers. Uh, there are all kinds mm-hmm. of things that um, are used to show how women are treated, but also there are talks about harassment and, you know, uh, elements of that. It was a really illuminating documentary. I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. The other documentary I saw that I loved was called Subject, um, and it looks at five or six, depending on how you count, um, subjects of documentaries. So like Jesse from Capturing the Freedmans or one of the kids mm-hmm. from the Wolf Pack or um, the woman whose father was the subject for the case for the staircase, mm-hmm. um, which is now a HBO series. Um, and it looks at how uh, one of the kids from Hoop Dreams, and it looks at how these these subjects of documentaries um, had their lives impacted by being on film like this. Hmm. It's that's very interesting. It's fantastic. Yeah. That's so interesting because even the act of making that documentary itself like mm-hmm. sort of plays into what that documentary is about, if that makes sense. Yeah. And 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 the woman from The Staircase was like, I never want to be in another documentary again until you told me about this. And like, now I want to do this. Yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a really great film. It's yeah. called Subject, you said, Gary? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Cool. Cool. Oh, that's exciting. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. So those are the two, um, Rebecca, that I, that, that, like, I think your crowd will like. Very good. Very <laughs> gotcha. good. Thank you. Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's get into Paul Bartel. Um, So Paul has, uh, 91 acting credits, 14 directing credits and 11 writing credits, uh, according to IMDb. Um, Paul was born August 6th, uh, 1938 in Brooklyn, New York. Um, he decided he wanted to direct animated movies when he was 11. And by 13, he was spending the summer summers at New York's, uh, UPA animation studio, which Mm. I think is very cool. Um, he majored in theater at UCLA, uh, received a Fulbright scholarship to study film direction in Rome, um, and produced a short that was presented in the, uh, 1962 Venice Film Festival. Um, one thing that I found really interesting, and I didn't really think of him this way, but a lot of the, um, older interviews and things I saw about Bartel kept referring to his movies as being tasteless, mm-hmm. and, uh, he was referred to the king as a uh, the king of bad taste several times which i was like oh i didn't think of him as being kind of quantified with people like john waters right. and that's really interesting thinking back as to what we've watched for this uh right, he's, he's, he's always been sort of the poor man's john waters and that's sort of how they build mm. him and i think you know even lust in the dust which john waters i think was supposedly attached to Bartel mm. ended up making because they got the poor man's john waters john couldn't do it oh. so we'll get john waters right and uh, you know He's what what's interesting to me about him is not that he's tasteless. I mean, yes, he does skirt, you know, uh, the issue with the uh, cannibalism, for example, in yeah. eating Raul. But he's he's really sort of he's tongue in cheek about it. Mm-hmm. And he's also sort of like the straight man who lets all the crazies around him. So, mm-hmm. you know, he sort of gets away or can sort of pass because he's prim and proper like. I like this red wine, you know, and I want to open a wine store and eating Raul as opposed yeah. to, you know, um, being the one who's committing the acts or, or, or doing the bad taste. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a really interesting um, way to describe it, I think. And that makes a lot of sense to me when I was trying to figure out like, oh, that's not how I thought of this at all. Um I definitely had the th- I forget which movie of his we were watching, but I did have I was like, oh, this is this is giving me a little bit of that Waters thing. Like it's it, it's a story, you know, 
he tells these stories about misfits on the fringe, but that the way he tells it is with a lot of sort of like love and heart for those types of people and those characters, you know? Um, I had I found two really funny quotes that I really enjoyed from different interviews with him. Um, one was just him talking about how he like, you know, talking about not having money to make movies. And he said, when you don't have money, you spend your friends, which I thought was very funny. Uh-huh. Um, and then he just says, like, I'm very interested in doing eccentric, individual, low budget films, uh, which I think uh, I love how he he really kind of sticks to that in a lot of the work he does. Yeah, um, I think that's why I appreciated him so much is that mm-hmm. he made the kinds of films that I wanted to see. I wasn't I mean, you know, I grew up in the 80s, let's say. Um, I mean, late 70s, <laughs> 80s. And and that's when he was in a lot of these movies. And I would much rather watch him in a small film than, you know, I wasn't on board with all the Star, Star Wars and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's how I gravitated to him. And so when I would see he had a new movie coming out, it was like, it was an event. It was like, oh, can't wait to see the new Paul Bartel oh, film. that's cool. That's really cool. Well, and that's also, that's how you get movies made, right? Like when you're somebody like Paul who... Uh, has interesting taste, let's say, maybe not bad taste, but interesting taste, and you're trying to get your movies made, you have to be making these individual low-budget films, right? Like, mm-hmm. how else are you getting Eating Raul made? You're not getting that made unless you're doing it that way. Yeah, and I think and I think he uses a lot of the same people in his films. I mean, you know, Mary mm-hmm. Warnerov and um, um, blanking, Robert Beltran. I mean, they appeared in several of his movies, especially scenes in the class struggle in Beverly Hills, which they made, which was like one of his last movies. And they had right. bit parts and other stuff. So it's like he did some company like like Altman did. Yeah. And Warnov, I feel like I, I wanted to try to avoid talking about her in this, but like because I've become obsessed with her mm-hmm. and I've thought of them as a pair in a lot of ways. And in the Terry Gross interview, she's even like, oh, you act with your wife. And he's like, she's not my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and like, she's like, oh, that's so weird. I could have sworn you were married. He's like, nope. He's like, she's my partner and like as a creative partner. But like, he's like, I'm gay. So like, no, we're not yeah. together in that way, <laughs> uh, which was just like very funny that people just assumed they were together because they they play husband and wife like several times right. uh, throughout their careers but what's weird is that she was a warhol girl you know i mean she made right. Chelsea yeah. girls and she did all this other stuff i mean she's she's got a great biography out um but she's she's really interesting and had these i mean unusual roles and has always been sort of like very um very much her own person and so i yeah. don't know i would never yoke them except for in these two or three films that they made right yeah it's so interesting um, so yeah, uh, the first credit I have here, uh, from the sixties is from 1969. Uh, he was in a movie called utterly without redeeming social value, which is just a great name, uh, about a psychologist interviewing the members of a therapy group for people with sexual issues as to why, uh, I don't know what that actually means. <laughs> gotcha. Yep. <laughs> but it's like, it's, I put this in mostly cause it was like, seemed like an interesting, like, Oh, they're talking about like people with like sexual issues and hangups, uh, as like one of his early films, uh, which I feel like carries on into a lot of his other roles too. For sure. Um, and some of the films he directs, um, in uh, 1970, he's in High Mom, directed by Brian De Palma, starring Robert De Niro. Um, I had never heard of this film, and I was shocked that it was a De Palma. It was um, his first film. Oh, okay. That makes a lot Thanks. of sense. Um, yeah, yeah sure. the, He plays like a Vietnam vet who returns to New York and runs a rundown flat in uh, Greenwich Village. Um, in the flat, he begins to film Peeping Tom style. Uh, the people of 
uh, at the apartment across the street. His obsession uh, with making the film leads him to fall in uh, with a radical black power group, which in turn leads him to carry out a bizarre act of urban terrorism. This sounds good. I I also have never heard of this movie. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it, good. It, it, it's not his first film. Greetings was uh, De Palma's first film, but Haimam was gotcha. one of his early movies. Um, okay. And it's... Uh, it's it's I've never seen it, but I know of it. And I'm okay. I certainly I mean it's it's usually talked about in all of De Palma's, you know, sort of articles or, okay. or whatnot as one of his early films. But it's, I think it was mm. his first uh, collaboration with De Niro. That could have been what I was thinking of. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then he directs private parts, which uh, I don't know if that's one you've seen, Gary. No, I haven't seen his early stuff. Um, I picked up Eating Raul was where I sort of, you know, gotcha. okay, gotcha, sort of yeah. him as a director. Because that was um, yeah, the one that has, got a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, and he has a lot of like uncredited roles like in the 70s too. He was in private parts. Uh, he was in a movie called Big Bag Mama. Um, he also has a small role in uh, the next film he directs, which is Death Race 2000, uh, which I have never seen. I've seen this movie. Gary, have you seen Death Race 2000? I, I've seen the remakes. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I've, not seen, should... I've not seen the the original. And um, that was because he was a Roger Corman, you know, uh, yes. for the day. Mm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you and this is like very much of Corman's kind of thing, right? Like this is one of those just like make it cheap, make it fast. Yeah, exactly. Very high concept movie. Um, And it's got uh, it's got a really young Stallone performance in it that is worth seeing it for. Um, And yeah, uh, Stallone, I I, if I'm correct, I think Stallone plays the character Frankenstein and Bartel plays Frankenstein's doctor uh, briefly in the movie. In one of the interviews I saw with him and Mary Warnov about eating Raul, uh, they asked him how he got Stallone for the movie and he was like, well, Stallone was like kind of a nobody at the time and I was actually introduced to him as a writer um, and we were like potentially going to work together to, uh, for me to direct one of his films that he would then be in as well, but it just like never came together because mm. Stallone didn't have like the name power he has now. And I just, I found that to be so interesting that he also met uh, Stallone mm-hmm. as a writer, which is like not how I think of Stallone. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah. I mean, he, but he, Stallone did write Rocky. Um, yep. Yeah, you know. I know. But, but he's, I mean, he's also known for what was the, his, uh, his Italian stallion age uh, films, which was made before he was famous. I mean, you know, yes. he, he's sort of quasi porn stuff. Yes. And, uh, yeah. That's what I was. That's what's interesting to me about this Death Race 2000 credit with him is that, like, I don't know anything about it, but, you know, how did Stallone and Bartel meet? I wonder a little bit, you know what I mean? Because because of Stallone's early career sort of mm-hmm. in this sort of quasi porn industry, you know, it's it's, it's kind of interesting. Well, um, I think it was Roger Corman that probably brought them together. I mean, you're probably right, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's something he said, too, was like, oh, like, Corman found a way to, like, get this, like, new, like, cheaper, like, actor into his, like, piece. And yeah. that that makes a lot of sense based on, yeah. uh, you know, everything, this, like, crowd around Corman at the time. And as far as our show goes, this is a great movie people should see. Death Race 2000 is a legit B-movie and a really entertaining one. Yeah, I had uh, hoped to catch it before we talked, but it just didn't work out. Oh, it's okay. His role in it is is minor. It's It's more just fun as a directing credit for him, you know? Um, he then has a small role in a movie called Eat My Dust, directed it by Charles B. Griffith. <laughs> played endlessly on cable when I was a kid. I got to watch Opie Cunningham, you know, race cars. It was great. Yeah, that. OK, so this is one of two movies he is in. One we'll talk about later where Ron Howard was like the star of like a, a race movie, which I like yeah. didn't know was a thing yeah. for him. The whole, the whole yeah. thing is like a giant race chase 
you know, car movie. And and they got lambasted by critics because it was basically, you know, you were getting all of the, uh, you know, um, uh, carbon monoxide coming out of the tailpipe, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and Howard, uh, what, he directed Grand Theft Auto, right? Like there's a whole mm. sort of a, there's a part of Howard's career that is car movies, basically. Yeah, American wild. Graffiti. And, yeah, yeah. Right. But those were all in the seventies. I mean, he was basically, you know, he had been on the Andy Griffith show and then he made happy yep. days and that was what he was famous for. So mm-hmm. this yep. was basically him getting his way to cut his teeth to become a director was to appear yep. in these films, you know, study under Corman and yep. uh, learn how to make it fast and cheap. Oh, that's right. Uh, Grand Theft Auto is a Corman movie, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. As is Eat My Dust, I think. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then in 76, he is in Hollywood Boulevard, directed by Alan Arkish and Joe Dante, who he works with both of them several times, uh, starring Bartel as the director. And Mary Warnov is like this, um, I guess like she's aging out of being like she's a like an aging starlet. actress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until I think we watched this movie that I realized I knew her from movies like uh, Night of the Comet and House of the Devil, where mm-hmm. she's much okay. older. And so yeah. it was really cool to see her in some of these other roles with Bartel because uh, I think they have great chemistry. And yeah. she's uh, I we really liked this movie just because she and Bartel were very funny in it. She's so funny. I know she's like such a funny presence. And uh, like you were great. saying before. Yeah. And like you were saying before, Gary, his like ability to be a straight man in the midst of these kinds of things. And in this movie in particular, where she is just wildly bouncing off of him and he has to be sort of a a really kind of like a soundboard for some of that stuff. It's he's great. Well, it's because he's so deadpan. I mean, I think that's what I like about him is, I mean, you know, my my favorite film of his is Scenes from the Class Struggle from Beverly Hills. And Mary is hilarious in it. But okay. he just says these lines with such deadpan candor that I can't help but laugh. And some of them I can't even quote because they're just <laughs> offensive. And yet uh-huh. in the context of the film works beautifully. Yeah, it's funny. It wasn't until we watched a few of his movies that I realized he reminds me a lot of my friend Josh, who it took a while for me to become friends with my friend Josh because of how <laughs> like dry and deadpan he is that I was like, I don't know if I get like what your thing is. <laughs> uh, so then watching this, I was like, oh, OK, he he is exactly like my friend Josh. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, but I also really liked this movie because I think this is very referential. It's very much like kind of making fun of like the Corman movies that are going on at the time, uh, which I know like Warrenov talks about that in the eating Ralu interview I saw where she was, they were like, what's it like working for Corman? She goes, Oh, you know, you get paid scale. You do another movie, you get paid scale. You just keep getting paid scale until you make more friends working with Corman that like, then you and those friends make other movies and they pay you more because they're your <laughs> friends. And I was like, Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> It's funny. Yeah, I, well, I and, thought and this was Arkish also sort of, you know, spun off and did his own films. I mean, he made, yeah. you know, uh, Get Crazy and some of the other films that uh, Paul's in. I mean, they were, sure. they, were, they were good friends. And Dante, too, right? Like, Dante comes Dante. out of this and, and starts his own career, too, and, and also brings Bartel back uh, once or twice as well. Yeah, I feel like the several of the people we have covered, I realized like were kind of of this Corman era mm-hmm. and like found their way through it. And I just did not realize that, which is very cool. Yeah, I mean, there there are so many huge Hollywood careers that you sort of trace them back far enough. Mm-hmm. And Roger Corman is where it's six where degrees of Roger Corman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, that would be a fun game for those podcasts. It would be actually. <laughs> Um, he then directs and is in the movie Cannonball starring David Carradine, uh, another was, car racing film. Right. And it, and it was basically a, we want to repeat the success of Death Race 2000. Yep. <laughs> it sounds Here's right. Project. Yep. You know, sounds right. 
which you know then he has a small role in grand theft auto directed and starring ron howard (laughs) uh which very funny um and then in 78 uh he is in piranha another dante movie uh he's in that with barbara Steele, who we uh also talked about on the podcast um this movie i feel like i need to rewatch. we put it on at my family's house last summer and when garrett and i put a movie on and we're like we want to watch a movie that means we want to watch a movie when my parents put movies on <laughs> uh they're like oh we're gonna put this movie on and talk through it uh i shouldn't say my parents it's more my mom and my sisters but <laughs> I, we were just like i cannot follow what's happening in piranha i now know which soap operas every actor that was in piranha starred in yep <laughs> oh how could you not <laughs> yep. Um, and then in 79, he is in Rock and Roll High School, another film by uh, Arkish and Dante, Dante yeah. uh, which has Dick Miller, PJ Souls. Um, I've seen this a while ago, but uh, one of the interviews ago. I listened yeah a very long time ago um because i'm not like a huge uh you know, like ramones, ramones fan no fair, fair. well um, i can tell that because you didn't say rock 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 and roll high school <laughs> <laughs> yeah although i did go to like a ramones like museum thing uh in queens like a couple years ago that was fun um but he plays like one of the square teachers that's trying to convince the students they need to appreciate beethoven which makes so much sense for him isn't it so funny <laughs> that like when you know who paul Bartell like is in in reality or whatever the characters he plays make no sense but when you watch him on screen it's like yeah of course he's the square teacher that's yes. who Paul Bartell plays Paul Bartell plays the square teacher and he leans into it though I mean that's yeah, just, yeah. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's like you know he's 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 depicted as a prude on screen right yeah. but right. in real life he's not and that's the irony and that's why he can do it so deadpan funny you yes know? yes yep I love it um, and then we get to his career in the 80s. Um, in 81, he is in uh, Heartbeeps, uh, directed by Alan Arkish. And this had a crazy cast. It's Andy Kaufman, Bernadette Peters, Mary Warrenoff, Christopher Guest, Dick Miller. Um, and it, the uh, synopsis was just two household robots run away and try to start a family. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> it, well, the thing, it played endlessly on cable when I was a kid. And mm. it was it was it's a really bad film. I mean, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just it's trying too hard. And Fair. You know, it, it it's trying to be hip and funny, and it's just not. It, date, it doesn't date well, so I uh, fair. I didn't give it another look. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, um, the post, and, even the poster is really bad for it. You know. Oh really? I need to look at it now. Um, and then in '82, he directs Eating Raul, uh, which we have all seen. Um, I feel like this is the when we were trying to figure out like which of his like uh, films that he directed we wanted to watch. I really gravitated towards this just because. Uh, it is like a little bit about cannibals, which I, I love as a fan of uh, Hannibal and everything. So I was it's like, ooh, yes. Cannibalism. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and he has this quote that I thought was so funny and now makes the movie make even more sense to me. He says, I wanted to make a film about two greedy, uptight people who are not so unlike you and me and Nancy and Ronnie Reagan uh, and to keep it funny and yet communicate something about the perversity of these values. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, this is like um, uh, like Stuart Gordon's thing too, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, they're always trying to sort of explore the perversity of the like bourgeois class or whatever. Right. Um, they're trying to like expose how perverse these people are through their, through their movies. Um, and I, I definitely can, can read that uh, in eating Raul for sure. And uh, Gary, how do you feel about eating Raul? Okay. So eating Raul came out, I was, I was 
probably a teenager and I was dying to see it because, you know, it, it, the topic just spoke to me. Um, <laughs> I loved films like this. And I've always liked this film, but I've always wanted to like it more. Um, mm. It put Bartel on the map as a filmmaker. And that's where I first started paying attention to him, you know, but it's a one joke film. It's not a bad joke, but it's a satire about these two prudes killing swingers. And it's funny when it doesn't focus on the main plot. I like mm-hmm. the lo-fi quality of the film. I like that he gets some really great moments from the supporting cast. Susan Sager as Doris the Dominatrix steals every scene she's in. And it's great <laughs> to see her show up in scenes in the class struggle. The line delivery is great in so many pay- cases. I mean, Paul Bertel's exchange in the liquor store or the host of the swingers party are, are mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I, I can, st- yes. I mean, every time I think of this movie, I think of I'm the host with the most, you know, <laughs> um, my favorite scene is when Paul visits the sex shop because the cashier is hilarious. They can joke <laughs> yes. about trail mix fa- flavored lube, you know? Um, I mean, the scenes they create are really clever, but it's it's a movie that I think is like good on paper. Like if you've read the script, you'd think mm. this is hilarious, yes. but it's the execution of it that's just so flat and deliberately deadpan, but it's sort of like, get it, get it. It's almost winking at you to say, you mm-hmm. know, do you get my joke? Do you get my joke? Isn't it funny? Gary, and- I- I'm... I don't want to interrupt you, but I'm so with you on this. Yeah, like yeah. I, I, when I when I wrote about this movie, I described it as having big theater kid energy, mm-hmm, where yeah. it's like you could see it being performed on stage, and you get what they think is so funny about depicting these people this way. But 30 scenes later, where they've been depicting them that way the whole time, it, it's maybe not as entertaining or clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and to that point, I mean, they create these really clever topics and fetishes like infantilism or Nazis or whatever, and they don't mm-hmm. go to too many extremes. It's sort of like, as you say, it's like a theater production, but yeah. it was shot in 22 days. It was made for like, what, $250,000? Super cheap. Um, so I get it. I mean, I think the love triangle that develops between Mary and Raul and uh, Paul Bertel's character is is fun, but it never quite goes as far as it could. Mm-hmm. And they're really inspired moments. There's two references to a basket job, and I had to look what that was up. Um, <laughs> but I've always wanted more from this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. It's funny because as we're talking about it, I now I'm like feeling like I like it more talking about it than I did the experience of watching it. Like there is plenty of funny, like you know these jokes these like little vignettes i'm even just thinking about like the whole bit that he just kills them with a cast iron skillet i think that's very funny that that like is his murder weapon um but yeah like i remember watching it and being like oh like i i do really want to like this more than i do but there is so much just like good stuff in the Mm -hmm. film yep and i wonder if in the theater with an audience would be a different experience oh maybe the time it came out it really did hit it really did hit and it was a big hit for an independent film that's interesting because, yeah, I, I had mostly the same feeling you did while watching it, Gary, which was like, I am liking this and I get the joke and appreciate the joke. It's like a joke that I like and enjoy, but it's, you know, 90 minutes of just that joke, really. And, yeah. and at a certain point kind of gets boring, even though on a scene to scene basis, there is like a little bit of ingenuity and kind of like creative ideas and stuff. Um I, I mostly just liked uh, Paul and Mary in this movie a lot. Tori and I talked about how they play each other's beards in this movie, basically, okay. yeah. where it seems like they are two queer people pretending to be straight more mm-hmm. more than anything else. And so like the love triangle that does develop is kind of interesting because it it almost feels like they only care about each other because they're supposed to like they're supposed to be like a man and a woman, you know, living in harmony together. And I but think they're not really. It- 
Right. And I think it's just sort of the, the awkwardness of their relationship is really what's funny about it. You yeah, know, yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't put these people together. I mean, I think I, th- I think Robert Beltran's great in the film. Um, it's a really impressive debut. And I got to watch him in, you know, like uh, all the films he made after that, because mm-hmm. he caught my attention in this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, this launched his career. Yeah. And he did like these, these like, you know, uh, I think he made a film called Latino, which I remember seeing because it was mm-hmm. like a Latin American political drama. And it's right. like, oh, great. I'm glad he can use his he can, you know springboard is his celebrity from eating Raul to make an important political film about, mm. you know, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, well, I was really glad that this was one of the ones that, that we watched. Cause this is a movie like I've heard a lot about and mm-hmm. never, I, I think maybe didn't have any interest to see until like, Oh, we're doing Paul Bartel's career. Like that's a good reason to see that movie, you know? <laughs> and I have a couple notes too. One is that, uh, he, tried and failed to persuade Corman to finance this movie uh, that he really wanted to make um, and ended up getting financing for it by um, after his parents sold their New Jersey house, they gave him the money. Um, And so then he has this money. He has to shoot it in 22 days. And uh, yeah, I just find that very interesting that like after, you know, working with Corman doing all this, he can't even like convince him to like help him (laughs) get this movie made. Um, and then in one of the interviews, uh, he actually did talk about like what a sequel to this movie would be. And he, ambition. Yeah, which I love. He was like, oh, it's like Paul and Mary go to Washington and they help the FBI like murder, like, you know, corrupt people within the <laughs> government. And I was like, OK, I can see that as like their next step up in yeah. this. It's interesting. They're so good at laying a trap for people. The government's like, yes, please. Yes. We need your help. <laughs> yeah. Um, after that, he is in Trick or Treats, uh, which I guess David Carradine is in. I did not know. Um, this has been on my like, you know, horror B movie watch list yeah. for some time. Um, you know, very basic premise of like a babysitter on Halloween and a, you know, deranged patient from a mental asylum. Sounds right up my alley. Yeah. Gotta see it. <laughs> Um, and then in 84, uh, Bartell directs Not for Publication, uh, starring Nancy Allen, who we've also done on the podcast. Mm. Um, and I'm totally blanking on his name. Um, the other lead David of the Naughton. movie. David yes. Naughton yep. from American World from London. Yeah, yes. uh, who was in a movie, was it called Killer Buzz? That uh, We watched a Killer Bee movie, a movie oh, literally yeah. about killer bees that uh, he starred in. It was like a made-for-TV bee movie, like a, a sci-fi channel original. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that we we took the time to watch this because I yeah. feel like um, I can see how Bartel like developed a little more as a director in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I also f- I don't know if you noticed this, Garrett, but the cleaning company in one of the scenes is called like Raul Cleaning yes. or something. Um, and I was like, oh, yes, I love that. Yeah. I mean, this definitely just as a jump from Eating Raul to this movie. Yeah. Where Eating Raul feels like a theater piece, like a series of sketches. This feels very plot driven to me. This feels a little more focused um, in some ways to its benefit and maybe in some ways to its detriment. But but overall, it does feel like a more focused movie from him as a director. And uh, Gary, you like this movie yeah. a bit. Well, yeah. So I'd never heard of this film before. And two years ago, Kino released it on DVD and I got a copy. Mm because I wanted to write about it because it was, it was coming. I mean, they were also releasing scenes from the class struggle and I, any excuse mm. to write about that. I, I had to do it uh-huh. and I liked it when I saw it, but I watched it again for this and I really liked it. Like I really, really liked it. Mm. Um, and I think I liked it because it's got all these really good ideas in it and they work on very different levels. I mean, there's this really nifty opening in the tabloid newspaper world that sets the tone. I mean, it features showgirls in tiger costumes with guns mowing down their mm-hmm. sleazy imp. Um, yes. It's funny. 
it's not scary, but it's gory. Like let's mash sized potatoes, you know? (laughs) I mean, he's, he's got this offbeat sensibility in it and Nancy Allen just leans totally into it. And Mm -hmm. she uses a milk wagon that doubles as a mobile dark room. And it's driven Mm -hmm. by this wacky character, Odo, who's really kind of fun. Um, But the film talks about being cheap and prurient, which is totally Bartel's stock and trade, but Mm -hmm. it's far more mild than wild. I mean, you know, it's, it's got David Naughton and Nancy Allen performing a musical number in animal costumes at a club called (laughs) Gary. And (laughs) You know, there's a plot that involves this string of robberies. And my favorite bit is the scene where they're in the nightclub and, you know, the the main characters are stealing money and jewels from the club patrons because they're trying to infiltrate the criminal gang. (laughs) And this older woman is like, I will not give you my jewels, you know, and she's disappointed, you know, because she says, like, you know, I want him not to rape me. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And it's like. It's it's a perfect Bartel moment. It's completely disarming. It's completely wrong. And yet it's a ridiculous moment. I mean, one of the clubs in the film is called Cahoots, which is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And there's an electric El Greco painting, you know. Um, <laughs> everything in it is is great, you know. Yeah, that, um, that's interesting. This like is it. that's funny. It, this is you're reminding me now that this is similar to what Tori was just saying about eating Raul, where it's like now that I'm talking about this movie in retrospect of watching it, it's mm-hmm. so fun and funny and weird. Even though in the moment of watching it, it was occasionally like maybe a little boring and I wasn't always engaging with it like I wanted to, you know, like I was enjoying it, but it didn't like fully hit me. But now that we're like talking about it on the back end of it, I'm like, oh, it is a really weird, funny movie. Yeah. And if you see it again, you'll pick it up more because the first time I saw it, I felt exactly the way you did. It was like, yeah, it's good on paper. It doesn't all work. But watching it again, I'm like, no, I have a total enjoyment for it. I, I definitely say it as like one of my favorite Bartels now. Oh, interesting. I'll have to watch it again. That, yeah, that That's yeah, a good I really, recommend. I really liked it. Yeah, because I definitely like his brand of humor. Mm-hmm. I like what he's coming across with, like, in the comedy of his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't believe I completely forgot about that opening with the girls yeah. and, the sh- and the machine guns, because like, it's such a good moment where I was like, oh, this movie's great already. And I just, yeah. like, completely forgot that that happened. And well, it's amazing. And It's ridiculous. And yet it's really yeah. funny. Yeah. And I mean, that scene is maybe just a great encapsulation of Bartel's humor, like his sense of humor, where that whole scene is played almost straight, even though it is so absurd and ridiculous, you know? And that's what I love about him. I mean, you really care about David Mountain getting together with Nancy Allen in this film. And the the fact that they don't several times is like, I'm really invested in them coupling up. Why aren't they coupling up? Like they're perfect for each other. That's you know? true. Yeah, yeah. And he's got this crazy mother, Alice Ghostly, who's oh, you yeah, know yeah. typecast as this like psychic who can talk to dead people. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's this wacky airplane sequence, which I just think is like, how did they even get that made? You know, it's it's a really insane film. Um, but it's it, 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 the tabloid stuff because you think it's going to be all about the tabloids and it's about politic, politics, uh, politics and this politician who's maybe corrupt. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's there's double dealing and backstabbing and it's great. It's like it's yeah. really it's a really full, competent, you know, film that that was what was it's most impressive to film. me. Yeah. I mean, that was what was most impressive to me was that it was like so plot driven, despite still being like a very ridiculous Paul Bartel comedy, you know. I, in one of the interviews I saw too, when he talked about this movie, he was kind of just like very nonchalant about the ending of the movie. And is like, yeah, I think that's a happy ending. I think people should just like, you know, get what they want. And that's, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, and I, like right. the I think the ending's really cynical. 
I like yeah, that. I do too. For sure. The, the ending actually won me over on this movie. Like yeah. the, the act of watching it was like, this is okay. I'm enjoying this. It's all right. It's not. But the ending really won me over because it was just so like. Unexpected. Well, and also like in my view of it, like to me, that ending was like, yeah, this is capitalism. Like <laughs> you say you're fighting for one thing until given the opportunity to capitalize. And then that's what you're doing. Yep. You know? Um. Yeah, after not for publication, he is in the Frankenweenie short, which I haven't seen, but I know you love. One of my I favorite movies. Yeah, I watched this on TV a lot growing up, and yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Um, and then in '85, he is in a movie called Into the Night, directed by John Landis, which has like a really crazy cast again. Um, I had never heard of this, but Jeff Goldblum, Michelle Pfeiffer, Dan Aykroyd, David Cronenberg, Rick Baker, David Bowie are all in this movie. I had never heard of it before it's either, and so, I really wanted to watch it. Is it. So boring. I hate it. Oh no. I saw it in the theater when it came out and I just sat there for two hours stupefied. I just, it, <laughs> it's, you can't make a cult film on purpose. And they yeah, yeah. Mm. Interesting. So okay. I, maybe if I gave it another look now, I'd think differently on it. I mean, I yeah. love Michelle Pfeiffer, so she can do no wrong. But uh-huh. um, I just remember this film being like, why? <laughs> that's such a good quote, though. Uh, you can't do a cult film on purpose. Yeah. It's like, yes, that that's good. Um, after that, he does National Lampoon's European Vacation, which I don't think I've seen any of the vacation movies all the way through. I definitely have seen this like on TV. It used to run on Comedy Central all the time. I don't remember him in it. Um, He's then in Follow That Bird, which is a Sesame Street movie, which I find very funny. That totally makes sense to me. He makes (laughs) sense to me as a person that would be good at acting against Muppets. But but Sandra Bernhardt's in that too. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's got a really eclectic cast. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I, I saw that on TV growing up a lot, too, that, that used to play all the time. Um, and then in 86, he is in Shopping Mall. Uh, you, the brilliantly with... titled Shopping Mall. Because you, yes. you would uh, never know what this film's about if you didn't know the title. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I love this movie. Me I too. feel like I'm due for a rewatch on this. Yeah, it's we should so actually. Ridiculous. Yeah, but both Barbara Crampton and Kelly Maroney are like so great in this movie. Yes, and I don't remember Bartell in this, but I'm sure he plays like a very Bartell like dry character. <laughs> oh yeah, he's probably somebody's boss in the mall. Yes, if I had to guess. Yeah, uh, yeah like I like middle Jim, management. Yeah, I like Jim Winerski too. Uh, really fun director of B movies. Uh, he's then in a movie called Killer Party. Uh, in order to jur- join a sorority, three friends go on a hazing party in an old house where a sadistic, bloodthirsty demon spirit is waiting. Which seems sounds like something bad, we would like, but really possible. Really <laughs> yeah, yeah, possible. Um, and then this one I put in because the this is another one where this just sounded insane. Uh, in '87, he is in a movie called Munchies. Mm-hmm. A space archaeologist discovers the Munchies in a cave in Peru. Simon's evil twin brother and snack food entrepreneur kidnaps the creature. What Cecil does not know is that the creature, when chopped up, regenerates into many creatures, and they are mean. Yeah, so this is one of the many <laughs> Gremlins ripoffs that came out yep. on the heels was, of Gremlins. I was going to say, it, it reminds me of Critters, which I went to see. You yes, know. all those, like, little guys movies. Yes, the, right, The Gate, <laughs> right? There's all of these. This, this period of the 80s was like, what if we just put a bunch of little puppets on screen? Um, and then in 88, he is in Shakedown, which we watched for our uh, Peter Weller episode. Yes. Shakedown rules. Shakedown is like just a, you know, low key bad cop movie from like the late 80s. Have you ever seen this one, Gary? I probably have. I, I loved Peter Weller back in the 80s. I mean, I, I still think The New Age is an incredible film. Oh, I've never seen, seen that. that. It's um, Michael Tolkien who did the player. 
Um, oh, okay. It's him and Judy Davis. And it's and Adam West plays Peter Weller's father, I believe. And he's no shit. it's an incredible Whoa. performance that you've you've never seen Adam West like this. It's a oh, serious great. film. It's not a B movie, but it's a I I I have a very soft spot in my heart for it. Oh, that sounds great, Gary. Well, yeah, I think that, that was probably one of his action movies that uh he made in yeah. that, that period. It's, and I'm sure I saw it on cable, but it's him and Sam Elliott. I don't yeah, know if that yeah, helps yeah, you remember. Yeah. yeah, I remember it not at all, but I remember I'm sure I saw it. Because I watched everything. It's, it's wonderful. Like, as far as B-movies, as far as these kind of B-low-grade action movies go, terrific. Really, oh, I, really I mean, I remember stuff. the poster. It's like, and I'm yeah. just trying to think of, like, you know, I'm sure I've seen the film. Like, The Cat Chaser, there were all a bunch of things, like, at the same time. Yep. And they all... Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, he is then in the movie Mortuary Academy, which he also wrote, oh. uh, which is a police academy clone <laughs> about some nerds who inherit an academy for morticians, which is run by a corrupt, closeted necrophiliac. Okay, this sounds, sounds great. <laughs> sounds like something we would like. Absolutely up my alley. Um, and then we just watched this a couple months ago, and I feel like I already can't remember him in this movie. But uh, we watched uh, Out of the Dark, which uh, Karen Black is one of the stars of, about um, women that run the sex uh, phone sex company and then are being stalked by this psycho killer yeah, in a I, clown mask. I can't remember if Bartell was perhaps just like one of the clients on the other end of the phone for oh, a scene or something. That probably makes sense he's yeah. really good in these like very bit roles but mm -hmm. sometimes they're so small that i have trouble remembering them yeah um he's then in caddyshack 2 which i don't think I've, seen. I've never seen caddyshack 2 have you seen this movie gary i i may have i probably okay. I, I i didn't love caddyshack 1 that i probably didn't that would be yeah. my you know that i think that's my... a fair a pretty fair assessment uh -huh. uh, I don't know that that movie has really aged all of that well. No, no. Well, I remember seeing it on cable, Caddyshack one on cable, and being like, "Everybody's loving this. Like, it's not that funny." <laughs> but people go, they went nuts for it. No, oh yeah, I I remember having it rented for me as a kid by my parents, who were like, "This is one of the great comedies yeah, you must see." You know, I know yeah. that's definitely what happened to yeah. me too. Uh, my dad was such a big Bill Murray fan too, so it was like any of those movies we had to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the I think right, the success right. of. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think the success of Caddyshack is strictly just that it is another one of those, um, what do you call those, like losers versus the squares movies, right, right, you know? Right. Revenge uh, of the Nerds and all that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and then I am excited to hear you talk a little bit more about this movie, Gary, because I already regret us not watching it. Ah. Uh, but Bartel then directs and is also one of the stars of scenes from The Class Struggle in Beverly Hills uh, with Ed Begley Jr., Wallace Shaw, and Mary Warrenoff. Oh, these are all people we like. Yes. Ed Begley Jr. comes up on our show all the, all time. the time. Oh, you have to Ed see Ed Begley Jr. is in every movie. It is. <laughs> this is by far my favorite Bartel film. And, and if I, and if I, you know, gush too much i'm sorry but no please go working at the height of his powers i mean he's mm. he got a lot of a-list talent jacqueline Bissett is in this film and she's hilarious and she never gets to do comedy the mm. film aligns very much with his roots as a b-movie maker it's a clever modest farce about race and class as every bartel film is it has humor that stems from entitled characters behaving badly to get what they want um he gives plum parts to both robert beltran and mary warnerov um, who again get to couple up in their scenes together and they have a real comic spark. Um, he tries to seduce her and it, and it fizzes um, when she tries to seduce him. Um, Ed Beakley Jr. is hilarious. He has a cameo in Eating Raul, but he gets a really meaty role here as this pretentious um, playwright. Um, Ooh, that sounds like a good role for him. He's just gotten married 
like an instant five day. They've known each other less than a week to um, this character played by Arnisha Walker, who is the comic gold of this film. I don't want to say anything more about her. Um, Susan Seiker from Eater Rule gets a cameo. There's a hilarious brunch scene, which I love. Um, and every time I think of this film, I think of that, that brunch because Wally Shawn just goes to town on Ed Beakley Jr. It's hilarious. Um, great. But it mixes wordplay and bedroom farce and slapstick and sex. Yeah. Uh, Bartel wrote the story with Bruce Wagner and Wagner wrote the script and there are dozens of zingers. Um, they're done in a very deadpan style. Um, Bartel plays a thinologist, which is basically a diet doctor and his expressions of the chaos surrounding him are pricelessly funny. Um, and this is what I love about Bartel. I mean, he just has these great actors doing these roles at the height of their powers and they're all working, you know, in conjunction with each other to sort of have this bedroom farce where people are entering and exiting everybody else's doors. And it's like, who's seeing who's sleeping with whom and, and all that stuff. Mm. Um, but the satire is rich. I mean, you know, they really mock race and class. There's a whole s- subplot with the maid in the household who's Latinx. And um, she's always quoting like Quetzalcoatl and stuff like that. And, and if you know her dialogue, if you understand the Spanish, it's hilarious. <laughs> um, it's, it's just a brilliant movie. And I, I think it's, it, it shows how great he could be if his career had continued. Because mm. it's, it's just his, 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 his best film ever. And why I love yeah. him. I feel, yeah, I do just from like what we've seen, I feel like he does have such a unique uh, eye, uh, both like when he's like on screen and when he's also like behind the screen, like writing and directing. I just think he is so unique and funny and it is unfortunate. I feel like that there isn't like more of him uh, and more of his work around. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, there's a, like Michael Feinstein, who's a, a cabaret performer, has a scene mm-hmm. in the movie that they're having a party scene or something. And he gets one line of dialogue and it's a hoot. And it's just, it's like, even his asides, he can just, he can land on the moment that's funny and just give the actor a chance to just do their, do their stick and, and go. So yeah, I, I highly recommend this film. If, if you see, if you see his career progress from Eating Rule, not to publication to this, it's, it's really brilliant. Oh, and cool. it's Sounds it's great. Sad, it's sad that he didn't make more, too many more movies after this, because I think the only other film he directed was Shelf Life and um, yeah. that sort of stayed on the shelf. Mm. I I might as well just ask you this now, even though we're not done with his career since you're talking about it. I am curious. Do you know like what why his directing career fell off? Like, with, did he just stop being able to get funding for things? I or? think I'm guessing part of it was it was his inability to make movies that turned a big profit. I mean, Eating World yeah. did, and I think his every film he did after, not for publication, as I don't even remember it coming out, and right. I never right. even heard of it until Kino re-released it. Um, right. Things from the class struggle opened in art theaters. I mean, I saw it at the Ritz. Um, yeah. It oh. came out and it didn't play more than a couple of weeks and it just right. died on the vine because people weren't sort of, they, it was like, it was, maybe it was too soon. I mean, it, it was ahead of its time perhaps Yeah, because yeah. topics that we're talking about in the film are very prominent now, you know? Yeah. And yet, I mean, and Paul Morzierski plays Jacqueline Bissett's, you know, late husband in the film and he's mm. a ghost who appears through the movie and it's like, he's a major filmmaker, you know? It's yeah. Like, he had some really, really strong talent in this. I mean, Wally mm-hmm. Shawn is a great playwright. Oh my God, yeah. That, you know, um, that he's playing this character opposite the Ed Bigley character who is a playwright is, yep. is a great joke. Oh, that's, uh, funny. that's funny, yeah. Yeah, this huh. is one where, the, where the, the, the lines on paper did actually translate. Ray Sharkey's in this film um, and he's really he's really great. He and Beltran played the, the sort of 
the they make a bet to see who's going to sleep with the other's uh you know employer <laughs> um and i don't want to say what happens or, or even explain the bet but um rebecca schaefer's also in this film um she plays the daughter Zandra. And um, she had a tragic, uh, she was murdered by her lover, uh, his doctor. Um, and that happened shortly after this film was made. So she had only made a, a TV series called My Sister Sam. And she made a film that Diane Cannon, of all people, directed. Um, and this was like one of her few film credits. And I think the film came out right around the time of her death or her murder, oh, I should boy. say. Um, and yeah. that sort of, I, I don't want to say that put a damper on the film, but it certainly is part of its legacy, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Because she's really funny in it, and you sort of like you you watch her, and you think, God, she could have been so great, but her her, her life just ended early. Oh. That's so unfortunate. This movie sounds terrific, though. I I, yeah. I do regret that we didn't get to watch this one. Yeah, we have to add it back to the watch list. Yes, we do. Um, and then we get to his roles in the '90s, which I feel like he just ends up working with a lot of interesting people or doing um, like some interesting stuff, even if he isn't necessarily like directing or directing or starring, but um, he's in far out man directed by Tom, Tommy Chong. <laughs> yep. Uh, he's then in gremlins Two: the new batch, which we watched because I had never seen gremlins Two, And I... I feel like that is like the crazy one that you need to see. I love gremlins Two. I don't know if you're a fan of this movie, Gary. I, I was. Really and it's, and, 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 and <laughs> I really like, um, I'm blanking on the actor's name who plays the Trump character. Oh, I know. I don't know that actor's oh. name either. John Glover. I'll John look Glover. it up while we're talking. Yes, John yes, Glover. Yes. And, and I have a story about him, which I can't put on the air. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, th- I mean, yeah, no, I really is, like I really like Remins, too. It's so funny and crazy. Um, if you haven't seen it, I recommend people listening to this. Look up the key and the key and peel uh gremlins two sketch uh which is about the writer's room for the uh or the pitch meeting for gremlins two it's very funny um and uh you know paul has a very small role in this movie but it's a very paul bartell role and it's very funny uh he's what like the theater usher that's trying to like keep the peace as gremlins are invading the theater and causing all this havoc which just like is so fitting yeah paul bartell (laughs) as the straight man to gremlins is hilarious yeah uh, pretty fun and you know this movie has a lot of just like funny weird uh, scenes in it like um, Christopher Lee is in this movie yeah, which Chris- is wild Christopher Lee is so fun yeah. in this but the big thing to me is um, Leonard Malton's scene uh, oh, Leonard okay. Malton was good yeah great friends with Joe Dante but gave Gremlins a bad review so Joe Dante then cast his friend Leonard Malton in Gremlins 2 as Leonard Malton who reads from his own actual review of Gremlins as Gremlins attack and eat him so uh, it's terrific yeah very fun um, and then in uh, 91, he is in Desire and Hell at Sunset Motel, which is just <laughs> such a funny um, what a title uh, yeah. directed by Alien Castle, uh, starring okay. Sherilyn Fenn, uh, which sounds very much just like one of these standard uh, like 90s erotic thrillers, which I am a very big fan of. Okay. Uh, but Absolutely. specifically about a toy salesman and his wife who are trying to go to Disneyland and then she has an affair with someone at the motel. Oh, all right. Cool. cool. <laughs> Um, and then in 92, he works with, uh, Greg Araki doing the living end. I am um, convinced yeah. they made that movie together. Cause I have seen it. Like I've seen it a million times. I don't remember yeah. him in it at all. He's and I, the I last credit. So if he does anything, it must be like the tiniest role. Yeah. I wonder if he was potentially cut out of it too. I, I think he like was. Thing that I happens. can't find yeah. it. Okay. Interesting. Um, he's then in a movie called soulmates and he's credited as the boring professor, <laughs> which made me laugh. 
Um, and then he uh, directs and is also in the film Shelf Life from 93. Um, in 1963, a paranoid middle-class couple locks themselves and their small kids in the nuclear fallout shelter. 30 years later, their oblivious son and two daughters still survive there playing absurd games. Um, have you seen this one, Gary? I have not. I, in fact, I don't know where to find it because it's. I think it was, huh. it was never released. I don't know that it ever got a release. It sounds interesting. It says, a, you know, this is funny, the last thing here is a play-based dark comedy, yeah. and that very much sounds like a theater piece to me. You yeah. know, a uh, uh, very small contained space, three characters having to live out an apocalypse together or whatever, that very much sounds like a stage show. Yep. Uh, yeah, and I'm pretty sure it was, it was, it was, um, it was, it was a play that he directed, oh. and um, I don't know that, I, I, like I said, I don't know that it ever got released. I've never heard of it <laughs> until, you know, we, we sort of looked into him. Mm. Yeah, I'm very interested. Um, after that, he is in Posse from director Mario Van Peebles, oh. uh, which I don't think I've seen any mm-hmm. Mario's. Uh, I, I films, saw it, but, but again, I, I I I would remember him just for the cameo. I wouldn't remember him. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's so funny. So many of his roles really are you could describe them as cameos, right? Like unless he directed it or or like Arkish and Dante, it's like he mostly cameos in other people's yep. work. Um, he is then in Acting on Impulse, starring Thomas C. Howell, Linda Fiorienta, uh, Fiorentino, and Nancy Allen. I almost always get her name wrong. There's just too many, uh, too many letters, but I yeah. do love her. Mass Seduction <laughs> is the best movie ever. We just saw it a few months yeah. ago, and I am in love with it. I'm in love with her style in yeah. it. She's yeah. the coolest. Yeah, the, the, I love it. She- she was actually rumored to get Best Actress of the Oscars for that film, but it played on HBO before it got theatrical release qualified. Oh. And it basically oh. it basically destroyed her. And and I understand her men in black role was um because she won a poker game. With- oh, no shit, really. Wild. Cause that's that's the only way I knew her for years. Cause mm-hmm. I watch I've seen Men in Black a bunch of times growing up like in the 90s. Of so, our generation, yeah. it's either men in black or unfor- or your dogma. You know, it's like that's what uh, you know, and it's like I feel like those are two credits that she probably doesn't want to be known for necessarily, you know. No, last seduction. Yeah. She yeah, great, I actually just made... Oh yeah, yeah, go ahead, Gary. Sorry. She made a great film called Um Chain of Desire that I love. I think she even oh, okay. It's a, it's oh. one of those sort of Laron type movies, and mm. uh, I was obsessed with that film. For, 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 talk about erotic thrillers! It's definitely. Ooh. I have to yeah. add that to my list because um, yeah. yeah, I actually just suggested the last seduction to Rosalie because she's getting into erotic thrillers right now. Oh. And I'm very excited. <laughs> it's a great film. Um, after that, uh, he is in. Um, I guess has an appearance in The Usual Suspects, which I haven't seen in years. Yeah, so I, I can't recall him yeah. in that, but I've certainly seen that a few times. Um, and then a film that just, uh, again, has a hilarious title, uh, The Wacky Adventures of Dr. Boris and Nurse Shirley, uh, <laughs> starring Bartel and Karen Black. Oh, whoa, what an interesting couple. Yeah, what an interesting pair. Um, and then he plays a congressman in Escape from L.A., which yeah. we both have a big soft spot for. I love Escape from L.A. <laughs> and now that you're saying that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can kind of picture him in that scene where yes. they go to all those people. Yeah. Do, uh, have you seen this, Gary? Do you like this I movie? I have not. And I, I, I'm... I'm I can't remember if I've seen Escape from New York. Okay, interesting. Mm. I probably need the sequel if I didn't see the original. But I remember the original played on cable. Again, you know, cable Mm -hmm. where I got spoiled by movies. So I've probably seen bits and pieces of it, but just never all the way through. Because I remember seeing it vividly. I mean, people love Escape from New York, and and it is a, a good movie. Uh, but I, and people hate Escape from L.A., but I think Escape from L.A. is terrific. 
Escape from LA is like leaning way into being a B movie and is just strange and bizarre and fun. And it's got a few things that have not aged well in it, but otherwise I think it's just so much uh, fun. Um, Honestly, my favorite part of that movie is, uh, so I worked at Eastern State Penitentiary for five years. Steve Buscemi uh, does the audio tour there. And in this film, Steve Buscemi is like the tour guide for LA. And so after I saw this movie, I told everyone at work about it. And I was like, Steve Buscemi actually played a tour guide and not just the audio tour. Um, he also did, I cut most of this out, but, uh, Bartel did a lot of like TV movies, which I feel like Garrett and I have gotten really into watching some of these like TV movies too, but, um, he was in like the devil's child, the inheritance and skeletons, all things, or I'm like, yeah, I would probably watch that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and then he only has a few roles in the 2000s because um, he actually dies in 2000. Um, he is in a thriller called Perfect Fit. Uh, an aimless young man turns to murder in order to satisfy the desires of his new girlfriend, a narcissist blue jean fetishist. <laughs> okay. So interesting. Uh, he and Warrenov again play a couple in this one. Oh, wow. That's interesting. That's cool. Um, he is in the Ethan Hawke Hamlet movie from oh. the early 2000s, which I kind of forgot was a thing. I forgot that existed entirely. Yep. Uh, and then his. I don't remember him in it. I mean, yeah. you know, like a Guildenstern or something. You know? <laughs> right, right. Uh, yes. Uh, and then his last film uh, was a rom com that he had a leading role in called Dinner in a Movie, oh. um, which I had have not seen. No, me neither. Um, but yeah, Bartel died May 13th, 2000, um, at the age of 61, um, and actually died after undergoing surgery for liver cancer. So sad. Unfortunate. Um, I had two funny things here, uh, in the Terry Gross, uh, interview, she asked, she's like, what's it like directing yourself on film? And he was like, well, it's a bit like Dumbo. If you believe you can do it, you can. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I was like, all right, Paul. Um, but then he also just talks about, you know, doing independent film and specifically saying that he feels that he would rather have the ability to have a more specialized style, even if it means a limited audience, uh, because he feels like the films he does have a more intense identity uh, than some of the big budget films. And I just really like the way he put that. Yeah, I love that phrase. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and he was such a—he was such an independent guy. I mean, he—I mean, yeah. he didn't fit into the Hollywood system. I mean, when you see right. him in Hollywood movies, you know, he's always playing sort of a cameo or doing something that's just sort of like, you know, he's offbeat or deadpan or or whatever. He's—he's—he's mm-hmm. he's, he's playing a, a milk toast type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in his old, in his, in his, the movies he makes, I mean, even in in not for publication, I think he, you know, he plays a producer of a TV show and he's got a two second scene in the end yeah he's in a wheelchair and it's like you know he creates this entire character how did he get in the wheelchair what is his role here yes (laughs) you're sort of constantly sort of recalibrating what is his what is his what is this shtick what is this thing um and he was ostrich in uh, hamlet not uh, rose from cancer oh okay interesting Uh, okay yeah it's sad that he died so young um, I, I was literally wondering about that as we were sort of, you know, covering his movies and stuff. I was like, oh, he doesn't have a lot of credits after this. And then, you know, looked it up to find out like, oh, he died like relatively young. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. And, and if, that's why I'm saying I think he was working at the height of his powers with scenes from the class struggle in Beverly Hills. Yeah. And I wanted more from him. I couldn't wait to see what after I saw that film, I couldn't wait to see what he did next. And yeah. I didn't because Shelf Life probably never got a release. Never, I never came heard out. Of it. Yeah. And, and um, and yet. I always enjoy seeing him in films. I mean, he's 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 always wonderful in these little cameos. Um, mm. And you know what you're going to get, but he just has this twinkle about him 
you know, it's like, I'm in on the joke. Yep. I'm playing this, like, even if I'm playing the, the, you know, boring professor, it's perfect. Yeah. Well, and he, he was clearly well-liked by his peers. When you look at the movies that he does have those cameo-like roles in, it's from everybody across Hollywood, right? It's like, it's the people he started with. It's like some of the Corman, you know, acolytes and stuff, but then it's also all the way up to like John Carpenter and stuff. These people just put him in their movies and these little roles, presumably because he's like uh, probably a genuinely decent and fun person to work with, you know? Well, and it was also good to see him do some queer stuff too. I mean, you know, he yeah. was in um, Billy's Hollywood Screen Kiss and he also made More Tales of the City, which was the PBS version of the miniseries, the sequel mm-hmm. to, the, to the, oh. Tales of the City. Um, and, it's, and I just remember always smiling at him because he was openly gay and he didn't sort of, yeah. you know, I mean, he didn't necessarily always play gay characters, but when he did, he had a certain panache to it. You know, yeah. I mean, you could see him as a bitter old queen or a jaded old queen. And Absolutely. Yet, at the same rate, you know, he didn't always have to play that. And and he just sort of, he was, I think that's why he was so good working with actors because he was an actor and he knew mm-hmm. how to get the performance. I mean, you cast somebody like Mary in a film and it's like, you know what you're going to get from her because she is, yeah. you know, a good performer. I mean, she knows how to do it. She knows what to deliver. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's part of why his films were so, so much fun because he leaned into them. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it's interesting too, like, uh, I I wonder if like later in his life too, as like, you know, more, there were more movies that were about like, like queer characters and specifically about like, you know, that lifestyle and like creatives behind the camera telling these stories. I wonder if like Bartell was kind of an idol for people, even though he was more independent and didn't have this like big career. I'm sure the fact that he like was able to like be openly gay for like most of his career, like was probably something that was really impactful for a lot of like newer filmmakers and probably why they like wanted him to be a part of their projects later on too. I mean, the, the queer community I know, like within the movie community, Mm loves Paul Bartel you know he's like one of their favorites yeah yeah and I think and that's why he worked with Gregor Racky or some of these other filmmakers yeah because he was helping them launch their start it's like you know right the the, the time has changed where you can do this openly gay and nuclear cinema is happening so let me put my you know two cents into your film so that uh, you can launch Yeah. yeah yeah I mean, I'm just I'm so grateful that we finally did this episode and that we like, you know, listened to to everyone that was telling us he'd be great because mm-hmm. I feel like I really did find just a screen personality that I love. And even watching some of his interviews and listening to him, I feel like I actually listened to more interviews with him than I have with like some of our previous folks, um, mostly because I was like trying to find more information about him and kind of get a sense of who he is. And the best way to do that was just to listen to him talk yeah. to people. And he always has this like sense of humor and Gary you kind of mentioned this like twinkle in his eye and mm. I I appreciate all of that so much yeah um, yeah and I think I think that's why I've always liked him is that that he is immensely likable I mean even in a yeah. role which is I think the first thing I saw him in where I knew who he was as opposed to seeing him in cameo yeah. and, and eat my dust or something else um was that he did have this sort of wit to him and it's like, it's a dry wit. I mean, that early scene where he's, you know, begging this woman not to buy a certain bottle of wine, you know, <laughs> yes. it's so funny to me. And he's like, I mean, he's, cause he's fussy, but he's not arrogant. He's just sort of like, I can't believe yes. you, you would want this. Yeah. <laughs> what is wrong with you? And, the, and, and eating rule. I mean, again, I say it's a good on paper film, meaning that the script is really strong, but the yeah. film itself lacks a little bit but it has a shot of like ketchup on a on a milkshake in the early 
you know, sequence mm. of the filming, the first mm. like, few minutes. And that to me is perfect Paul Bartel because he is ketchup on a milkshake. He spoils <laughs> it just a bit, but you still want to eat it because you like both of them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's great. Oh, I love that. What a wonderful way to say that, Gary. I know. I'm so glad that we had you on this episode. I, you brought so much to the conversation yes. about him. Yeah. Yes. No, I was I was so thrilled when that name popped up on your list. It was like I was looking through the whole list. I'm like, Paul Bartel has to be. Uh, I love it. I'm so glad you chose him, Gary. Yes. Uh, we've been looking forward to doing him and uh, couldn't have thought of somebody better to do him with. So for this sure. is fantastic. Thank you for being here and talking yeah. about Paul. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, Gary, what would you, uh, like to plug, uh, where can people find you? Uh, where can people find me? Well, I'm, I'm on salon.com and, uh, where else am I am? Uh, Philadelphia <laughs> Gay News and, and Gay City News and San Francisco Bay Times. Uh, if you want to read my articles and interviews and reviews and think pieces, um, you can follow me at Gary M. Kramer on Twitter and Gary E. M. Kramer on Instagram. If you want to follow me. Um, and I encourage you to sort of, you know, find, uh, my B-movie article because I talk about my stepbrother as a vampire and other genre schlocky charms at salon.com. Uh, because I think the title was, I made no money and I was drenched in blood. This is what it's like. <laughs> the movie. So, I love it. Sounds great. Thank um, you, Gary. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Garrett, uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, no, you know, you can just find me everywhere at Philadelphia on the internet, yeah. uh, Twitter and uh, Letterboxd and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, you can find me. I'm the Neon Banshee on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I think as this episode is released, there's still time to uh, support the Hero Scream campaign. I'll have a personal essay um, so you can uh, pre-order that as well as some other swag from Hero Scream. Um, and then you can find my writing at Movie John. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Gary, thank you again for being here. It was thank wonderful you. to have you. Uh, and uh, I think that'll wrap it up for us. You can find us everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast. That's Killer BS Podcast. Send us an email at killerbeespodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you thought of the episode, what you want us to uh, talk about in the future. And uh, we'll get out of here with a quick buzz, 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 buzz. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Gary. Very good. <laughs>